This is 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective podcast brought to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome to another episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. My name's Nathan. And I'm Bob. And uh, folks listening who have listened to a number of our podcasts before, they might say, wow, Bob sounds really different. Why is that? Well, I will uh, stand aside and I'll let Bob give a brief explanation of the situation that occurred recently. In the electronic uh, world, I was struck by lightning. <laughs> uh, we, had a, we had a bad storm and it, and it killed my laptop. So my uh, $1,300 laptop is now a, a paperweight. Yeah. Um, fun fact, folks, you're thinking, don't you have a surge protector? Sure did. Turns out everything plugged in that surge protector survived. Not my laptop. And so I will tell Hewitt Packard, Packard, whatever, um, HP to politely go in, in dark places. Uh, they, <laughs> they, they told me that the upgrade to my solid state drive um, was probably the cause, but you could... Uh, can understand that it still has power and everything it just won't turn back on yeah so i'm in i'm in a dance with that to try to figure out what to do um there, there's nothing really can be done no uh, we've been over everything top to bottom but they're they're in roads there's a i'm assuming magic from somewhere will happen and i'm on a backup so that's why i sound different yeah so i mean uh, all things considered that sucks but at least we were able to still record um crap situation but you know here we are. Um, so before we get into the book that we're going to be reviewing today, which is the Chicago Folios, I wanted to um, thank some of our newer uh, patrons that have jumped on since our previous recording, which was two weeks ago, and just um, just throw a little scenario at you, um, something that kind of came up today on our one of our Discord channels, and I just thought maybe getting some advice. It's it's a topic that we've gone over before, but I won't belabor the point. Um, first and foremost, I would like to thank um, Thomas from Flyos, who is now one of our Patreon backers. We appreciate yes. your support. Uh, I want to thank Guy with Puns. You know who you are. Uh, Bosku, Roger Nichols, uh, Oakthorn, uh, Shauna McGinnis, Doug Messel, and Ashley Maselli. I hope I pronounced everyone's names properly. And if I didn't, just yell at me on Facebook, and I'll get them right just, next time. I just got checked. Did you say Boscu or Bas Root? Uh, ba- B-O-S-K-U. Boscu? Okay, not Bas Root. Okay. No, Bas Root does like, not know who we are. And If El Wapo had joined us, I was, was extremely happy. I would, I would have kicked him in the liver. I would have uh, kneed him in the groin. <laughs> But to everyone else, welcome and thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you, you very for much. your support. Absolutely. So, just the uh, the scenario I wanted to go over, and like I said, we've we've probably discussed some degree of this on previous podcasts, um, but I thought it would be pertinent. Um, and basically, that scenario is: let's just say, for instance, I have been playing Vampire the Masquerade tabletop for you know whatever five years, one year doesn't matter. I'm I'm somewhat experienced and knowledgeable mm-hmm. with tabletop, and I decide that um, I'd like to check out this LARP thing. Um, I just thought it would be good maybe if you could give me, hypothetically, and some of the listeners maybe some advice on things that they should be aware of or things that they should look out for when transitioning into a LARP setting. Whenever going to a LARP, I recommend to bring do it in groups. Um, always bring as many people as you can. That's just for the love of the community. I've never heard of a LARP community and didn't like a bunch of new people. Uh, but still, if it's one or two and you're going by yourself, that's fine. 
I would say for the single visitation, I would number one, be prepared for anything. Yeah. I, uh, I can't stress enough. You're still going to a social circle, a new group, and it's not unlike going to a bar you haven't been to yet where, you know, there's, you know, there's people that, you know, that you relate to, you're going to be hanging out and doing something common. Um, but LARP's not a nightmare. I mean, when you get there and you talk to the storyteller, that should be your go-to. That way, you know, if you want to play the game or not, and don't waste your time otherwise. And what I mean by that is, is sometimes you go to a game and they're beer and pretzels. You're not a beer and pretzels player. You're more of an actor. Okay. That game might not be for you. Right. However, if you go and talk to the ST and learn, well, we're not, we want actors. It's just that a lot of our, our players, we have some that are just here for the baddie go hunt it down and kill it type, but we have plenty of plot room for you. Come on, come work with me. Let's get it going. And that's why I say go to the ST first the person running the show knows what's going on. Um, have a character pre-made. Doesn't matter if you don't know the house rules, make a character by the book. It's why the book exists and bring it prepared. That way, when you go through the whole countdown of what works with your character and what doesn't let the ST do it, let the house rules speak for himself. And that way you spend only maybe 20 minutes tweaking a character versus two hours of the game, making a character because you waited, you know, be prepared. Yeah. The other, th- the other thing is, is uh, a lot of us tend to have a, have a bit of the bard to us. And that's my polite way of saying we go there and we tend to exaggerate what we do and attempt to net others to the side, right? It's a defense mechanism, really. You want to fit in and somewhere in the middle of you boosting yourself up and they'll do the same to you. You guys will gradually find common ground. It'd just be cool. You know, just calm down a little bit. Focus on your character when game is on. If you're there beforehand, say hello. Shake some hands. Have a drink. Talk to some people. Just be totally cool and be you. And you're going to have a great time. I would say a couple of pieces of advice I'd like to give as well. Um, you know, just be aware when you go to a game, um, you know, find out number one, we've said this before, but find out what version of the rules they're using. You know, maybe they're using uh, old school laws of the night. Maybe they're using, um, you know, the by night studios uh, laws of the night. Uh, you know, be aware of what you're going into play, but also be aware of, of what your personal limitations are. And, you know, one of the scenarios that was kind of presented in the chat today was a scenario where um, they had uh, required everyone to start off as a human and uh, evolve into or, you know, play out the scenario where they become a vampire. But <laughs> it went a bit far because players were encouraged to like actually physically bite people. And, and, you know, that struck me as real odd. That struck me right away. Yeah, absolutely. That, that was, that was my reaction. I was like, no, I would leave that LARP right away. And I can tell you, I've been to some strange games, but I've never been to one where that sort of behavior was encouraged. So I would say, you know, just be aware if you have personal limitations um, you know, the rules of the book that we've all abided by require us to, you know, be cognizant and aware of other people's limitations. And I would Here's, say, go ahead. I was just going to say, if you, if you see stuff like that, leave, it's not nothing wrong with that. I'll give you a test. If I go to a game and I'm like, Hey, my name's Bob. When's this game start? And the guy looks at me deadpan cold, right? Lowers his purple Ray-Bans to stare at me. <laughs> and he, And he literally is like, my name is Nasratu Ikul. Hi, Bob. I leave. <laughs> right. <laughs> I leave. I'm done. See, there's a, a clear mental dysplasia that has gone on that I wasn't aware of. 
and I'm and I'm out like trout. Even if that guy is one guy they're letting be there, that shows me a fundamental non-awareness the staff has of their player troop, right? Unless he's goofing, and usually you'll get five minutes walking away towards your car before someone runs up and says it's a joke, right? There's a bit of hazing to any game as well. But if you're if they're biting people, hmm. Here's another clue. You uh, usually, well, male or female, you show up, and there are people, like, in that type of game, I guarantee you there's a bidding over who's going to embrace you because everyone knows what the rule is. Right. Right, I'm going to get that person. They look awesome. They look cool. She's hot. He's hot. We're going to totally, eh. And that tells you there's a microcosm of possible social abuse yeah. that exists in there because you're basically begging for it. When you're making an elitist, it's different if they say, I, there's a prelude we want you to run. Yeah. And staff wants you to be here an hour early. So we can get that going for you. It'll take about 25, 30 minutes, what we have set aside. And it's staff only. Yeah. And we may invite players to come play narrator characters for that. But uh, that's what we want you there for. They approach you like that. That game's 100% awesome. But it's yeah. the only way I could see that working. Yeah. I, I, that's uh, anytime that, um, you know, there's like weird requirements of like, you know, this is how you have to, you know, I, I, I say take it on a case by case basis because for the most part, LARPs are great fun and they're not creepy and they're not weird. And it's just a bunch of people getting together to have a good time. But I would say, you know, I, those, those should be obvious things. If you are in an environment where you're like, this is iffy and I don't get it and I feel unsafe and like, I have to do things that I don't want to bounce, just say, thank you. Goodbye. You don't say anything, just go home. Um, but the other thing that I would say is if you are used to a certain type of game as a tabletop player, and you're like, I know the world to be A, B, and C. When you go into a LARP, I, I would strongly suggest you leave your expectations at the door. Because... Home with an empty cup. Yeah, because there is... Uh, it is highly unlikely <laughs> that any game you go to is going to be telling the same story in the same world as you understand it. Because the beauty of this game, the beauty of this world, is that it gives you so much opportunity to sort of imagine your own outcomes and all the major organizations have their own, you know, it started at a back in 93 or whatever, but now it's something else. Um, and you know, every troop game has their own layout and their, the way that their games have played out is going to be completely different. So I would say like, like Bob said, it's a great uh, way of saying it, go with an empty cup. You got to, man. I mean, just, uh, just to add to that, um, when you do that, you're showing the storyteller you're open and you're showing that gaming troop that their house rules, you're willing to learn them. Right. right. And it's okay to let them know we did it this way because you're trying to let them know, this is how I know your rule for celerity, but what are yours? And especially if you notice a disparity and if someone's just like, Oh man, you're stupid. You know what it, you get the idea. If they're mm -hmm. adults and they're mature and they're having fun, they want to get to know you. That's the whole point to the social experience of art. You'll do just fine going there and bringing an open mind. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, don't be scared, go check them out, but you know, be armed with some of that knowledge. So, uh, thank you, Bob, as always for your insights into that. Um, I guess now let's move on to our review, which is why people are listening in the first place. Um, so what book are we reviewing today, Bob? Today we're reviewing the Chicago folios for V5. Um, can you, I guess, give me a, give us, give everybody a short synopsis of what this book is. Yes. Um, I will give you the Bob version. It's for lazy people who didn't <laughs> want to read everything 
in Chicago by night, and you're a storyteller and decide you can do better than that guy at the convention who ran you a quick one through a V5, and you know the rules of V5, and that's important, no one can skip that, and you decide, well, what sort of game would I run? Well, get your little friends together. Why do I say little? I don't know. Because they're mini and you put them on the table. I don't know. Um, get your friends together and decide to play the game, and you, the storyteller, go, man, I don't know what game to run. Well, you have that first session zero, as we confidently call it, and everyone's like, oh, man, we're not looking for the Camarilla one. Okay, skip chapter one. That's the Camarilla record. It gives you a bunch of stories that you can run for a Camarilla game. And you're yeah. like, man, uh, they all want to play Independence, whatever. I don't really know that. One guy wants to play Immortal. Cool. Chapter three is going to be your bag. Right? right? Essentially, what I'm saying is this is set up to where you get story, you get characters to focus on. It gives you focus is the best way to put this right. on what to run a story for your game to get a Chronicle started. Or to add a chapter when you, the ST, come home from work and you realize tomorrow night's the night you got to do game. You can't be bothered, stressful, whatever. And you have this book that basically calls to you like God. And you just open it up and go to a story you haven't done yet and present the story. Yeah. And has outcomes for it, has reasons to go on, what, uh, what I like, attributes to focus on that could help people go through what it's designed for, knowing that the players probably won't do that. And uh, it's it's written in a way where you it's free flow, right? It's just enough to give you guidance and interest, with having that uh, customability, the options to kind of kind of tell the story any way you want. Yeah, I think that uh, personally, this book is a really great addition to Chicago by Night, and you know it's it is a it's not a small book. It's not a minuscule book. It's it's one hundred and seventy. 75 pages um but it's definitely a tool that if you're if you're a storyteller and you've presented you've been presented with this world the chicago by night and you know maybe you you think you've run every game or maybe you just read the book and you're like okay now where do i go i think this book does a great job of giving you all kinds of seeds to plant in your game to create like you know bob said like Every angle you can you can get you know more information, um, and more story seeds to run these games. So, um, would you say it's like it should only be for storytellers, or I would say it's only for storytellers. And the reason why I would say that is you want to tell a story of these scenarios. If you're a player, you're right. kind of ruining it. Right now, that said, up to you get to the back of the book. Where they hold, and I, you know, a lot of people would be like, man, I thought you guys were against this stuff. Not really. <laughs> Remember, former Kane bro. Um, <laughs> you get the book, you look into it, and one of the things I check out is, all right, are there any new powers? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there is. They, they added blood sorcery in here that is Chicago-centric and Milwaukee-centric. Yeah. So it's some decent updates there. Yeah. Maybe you didn't get enough of the robust characters, including the original Chicago book. They added them here, including the Wolfpack. Yeah. Right. That was a, yeah, that, I was very pleased to see that the, those characters were included. The updates are good. The photos are interesting too. And, uh, they, they had a lot also shed some insight as to why soap McTavish, uh, shot Tyrus, which I'm, I'm glad they had that in there. And, uh, by the way, his name's not soap McTavish, but I'll never <laughs> ever hear an argument that it's not soap McTavish. They made in V5. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's a fun character. Um, <laughs> For a lot of reasons. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> it's really um, good. Yes, and that pauses for everyone as I got a delay. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, cool. Um, sorry. That's that was okay. uh, my total bad. The the um, other thing well, too before Bob finishes, we can't see each other. 
it's uh, <laughs> it's going to be a struggle. <laughs> so I can't be well, like, Bob, wave my hand to you. Now you talk. <laughs> right. There's none of that. It's, uh, it's, it's old school here right now. And I'm asking, you said uh, the, you were talking about the Once and Future King? Yeah. Yes. Um, this story is, I felt it was cheeky, right? <laughs> I'm a, I'm an Uber fan of Loden, right? Love mm-hmm. him. I think he's a great guy. When Olaf takes his bow and gets tore apart by werewolves, um, I was thrilled to see him added to the Chicago by Night book, right? And V5 update. It was cool to see him and how they went about it. I wasn't prepared for the whole rat Lord of the streets type motif yeah. that he developed. I wasn't prepared for it. Now. That doesn't mean I didn't like it. I didn't envision it. And uh, the Once in Future King kind of lays it out how it might go. Mm-hmm. And how one story, you know, tells you how he's handling it. And the madness started clicking in, the method to it. Right. Right. He may be in an old abandoned plant area, you know, kind of kicking rocks, sitting on a throne made from a sledged hammered down dumpster. Right. Right. And, and, he, and he has subjects. And I found this brilliant. All his subjects, he calls his children. Mm-hmm. And so every children he actually has, he renamed them in his subjects. Like, what is it? Uh, there's a guy actually called, I believe, Mr. J. What's brilliant about that is it lays out the little story about it, right? Mm-hmm. That intro, just so I mentioned there, how that's that's what he does. He comes in, sit, they sit down, they tell him about what's going on in his area, yeah. his demence, you know? And it's not as broad as it used to be. And he talks and he's weird. To them, it's weird. Right. These are guys from the street, but if you put him in Elysium, he definitely would have the right sycophants coming to the prince to, you know, basically understand not only what he said, but to report. And he knows it. And he has to kind of, you know, browbeat him a little bit, um, definitely terrify him in what he says. And no one doubts his power. It's just a matter of they are more violent. Yeah. Right. Everything they know is to get violent. Well, this one says there's some new people encroaching on my territory. No, don't kill them. Invite them. Invite them to court. And the people they're referring to, that's where you put your players in. Right. Right. That's exactly how the story uh, opens up. And that's actually a layout consistent in, in all these mini yeah. stories. Yeah. And that, that's a really important thing that you mentioned. Um, the way that this is presented, I feel is really, it's, it's different than a lot of the other vampire books, especially, um, you know, previous to V5. But I think that the way it's presented here is it's it's honestly really great. I I I wish the old books were kind of set up this way because it gives you sort of the 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 story up to now, right? What has happened? What brought us to this point? And then it gives you, you know, sometimes three, I think sometimes more, but it looks like pretty consistently three different kind of outcomes and scenarios of what could happen based on this interaction and then like bob said the attribute focus you know like where and and why they present it that way is kind of like if you have players that don't really like to get into this concept or this you know like a a fighting scenario um this kind of gives you an idea of how that should play out um but i think really what it's doing here aside from just giving you like the three options of what could happen I think it's really just trying to stir. It's trying to light that fire in your brain as a storyteller. Like these are the options we've given you. And then if one of these plays out, here's kind of the next story hook that plays off of that. But you don't really have to do it that way if you don't want to, but it's meant to really stir you as a storyteller, which is unique because uh, for those of you who are fans of, you know, uh, Requiem, 
Um, you'll note that there's a lot of storybooks they've done where they do that. Mm-hmm. They tell you what attributes is a little grading card for it. It's a fun little system. But a lot of people said it's too mechanic You're not really going to follow that. Well, this one is just enough. Right. Right. They tell you what attribute. You got the options. Basically, you run the show. Here's some stuff we recommend and go on. And what this does is the writers kind of trick you. It's as if you belong to a storytelling troupe mm-hmm. from White Wolf. Right. You know, well, they're not from White Wolf, but you know what I mean. From the Adventures of V5 or, yeah. or here, wherever. And these writers are in your corner. And so they wrote this to where you have the confidence that you wouldn't get from reading just the Bay Chicago by Night book, Run Your Own Story. Mm-hmm. This is like, here's the story we would tell. And here's a good intro, but we're not adding the detail we would put in. That's for you. But here's an idea. And we have it based on this attribute. Yeah. And it gives you an idea of how they might even make stories. And so, and like I said, it tricks you. Or rather, rather teaches you that no matter how good you are, learn a little more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, make, make this stuff how you would do. But now you get to see how we use the material. And that's the important part. Mm-hmm. The material we made, as the writers, we're showing you how to use it. <clears throat> and um, that's a piece a lot of people need. So obviously, you know, there's a bunch of different stories in here and, you know, um, we can't go through each and every one of them and I don't think we'd be doing any service to them if we did, but, um, I figured I would just shoot you this line. Um, do you have any stories in here that are your favorites in this chapter? Oh, in this chapter, Uh, we actually went over my favorite of this chapter Mm -hmm. to be fair. We already did in one. Um, the, uh, it's not cause I have a lot of favorites Yeah, right, right. <laughs> in, in other chapters, but this one is, a uh, here's, here's how it is for me. When I went through this, I read the Camarilla record as, as I, as we do, mm-hmm. I go, you have one shot, the opening story to convince me that your layout is something that is to anyone. I can tell with confidence they pick it up and use it off the bat. Check, check, check. Um, that you do it in a way that rewards your own creativity. Check. Was I inspired? Yes, I was. Would I use this intro story once in Future King? I absolutely would. Yeah. It's a great intro. It doesn't feel like I'm forced to do it. And I honestly think it'd be great for characters to go through, you know? Um, but the, you know, I can go through others too, but like Tortoise and O'Hare, mm-hmm. that's, that's another good story about, you know, you know, the O'Hare airport's up for grabs. Yeah. And that's how it is. And someone's moved in and, you know, this, you know, Rosa Hernandez comes to do her thing and I'll, and I'll leave you to that, but it also leaves a layout to where you don't have to use Rosa Hernandez. And you could even play with that scenario and say, what if the players had it? Right. You know, and the challenges are still coming and you could play with that and mess it around. And I said, this is definitely, definitely a Camarilla based chapter, obviously. That's why it's titled that. But I didn't feel that it was off the mark at all. Right. Right. That, that's so one of the things I, I, I was going to wait until later, but I feel like you brought me to the point that I wanted to make anyways. One of the things that I really appreciate about this book this chapter so far and kind of like everything that's been presented here, it feels as if the people that wrote this understood the voice of the world of darkness. And we know like a lot of people have had issues with, you know, certain things in V5 and, you know, even we've expressed like with other books where it's kind of like, I get what you're doing, but it just doesn't really like, there's something about the feel in, in some of those other books that's off. And if you listen to our Chicago by Night book review, you know we really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it because I felt like the people that stepped in to take over that writing really understood, at least from my perspective, my understanding of the game, that world, those characters, and just the feel of what it was supposed to be. Like It, it didn't feel like it was rehashing old shit, but it felt like it was taking those and progressing them logically. And I feel that 
in this book too, those same writers really are, I feel that they're speaking with that voice. They're speaking properly, I guess, for lack of a better way of saying it. Um, and the other thing that I noticed too, uh, in some of the other stuff that we've read, it seemed like Beckett's Jihad Diary was kind of disregarded. And yes, I don't get the impression from this. I feel well, like it, it's not, it's cause they didn't. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Take it into consideration, you know? Right. Uh, so I feel like it's very much progressing in the way that was kind of already laid out. It feels like it's the same world where some of the other, um, I don't know, some of the other books we've reviewed recently didn't really feel like they were taking place in the same world. Right. You know, and when we, we stated that enough, you right. know, I think in the never review to say that's a very gentlemanly of you to take that <laughs> knee right there. Um, <laughs> uh, to that end, um, what about chapter two, which is uh, of course the, the anarch accounts. Yeah. What's the, your favorites? The, uh, so the anarch, uh, the anarch accounts, this chapter, um, a couple of my favorites are when we get into the 10, uh, anarchs, the list, um, that are available and kind of some of the, um, betrayals, surprising, but understandable or logical betrayals, um, that are, are kind of going along with that. I, I, I found that very interesting, especially since my own kind of, uh, portrayal of this city has kind of gone along with a lot of that stuff. Um, let's see some of the other ones that I really enjoyed, um, were just how some of the non-traditional anarch groups are portrayed. Um, the, uh, the, the followers of, of Lilith's, uh, the church of Cain in Juliet that I, I really, um, found to be quite enjoyable. Um, the church of set and how it's kind of not, you know, we're coming to understand it's not all just like, um, the ministry and that's it. And I find that very enjoyable. Um, kind of, kind of, I, I think that a problem that I've always had with the Anarchs is just like, they just kind of seem like very predictable uh, and not very interesting. And I think a little bit more focus on um, the Church of Cain and stuff like that in the Anarch movement makes it more enjoyable. I agree. I agree. I think when uh, the, uh, the lacking that the, the Anarchs ever had was the fact that they didn't seem... Like you'd read about an anarch in a book, right? Mm -hmm. And it didn't matter what the book was. And once you get to looking at the stories you've heard people use or what people viewed anarchs were, basically gang member, right? That's I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know if you got that impression. I always did. Yeah, the anarch yeah. was just just a type of gang member. It couldn't be a person who had their own ways of thinking and were just about yeah um, opposing tyranny. Hey, or, I, I, you know, I've played that very same stereotype uh, dozens of times where I was like, "Those are the guys with the Camarillo. Those are the the cami folks over there." And I've got the leather jacket, so I'm the anarch. That that kind of right. stereotype. And they kind of throw that under the bus in V5. I enjoy that. Where it's like that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Let's in, let's interject the full picture of what an anarch is, and you know an anarch is just a, it's an ide it's an ideology. Yeah, you know, and that's and it's upholding that, but upholding the fact that you also, of course, you respect a masquerade as an anarch. Absolutely, you do. It's key to your survival. You're blending in, but you want to live the life that you would have had as a mortal, and then maybe beyond, and maybe build something for others, and you know, but without somebody coming over and saying, "No, we're building a herd." No, right. man, that's not a herd. Those are people going to a concert. No, no. It's a herd because I work for the harpy. Yeah, you need your ass kicked, <laughs> right? And that's and that to me is an anarch. Like what? Oh, okay, I get it. You're an inhuman jerk. Well, we'll address this. Do you? 
We'll see right. at the end of the concert and how that goes, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, or it could be just, just as political. You're on Elysium. Someone opens up and are there any problems if the Prince holds court that fancy, or you're just an anarch talking about the issues of someone stepping in your domain. You're there trying to figure out who it is. There's different types, right? We all know that in V5, there's those really violent anarchs. Very few yeah. now seem to be those willing to go and talk. Also, I think, uh, uh, I think I jumped ahead a little bit looking through the book. Um, I believe that the church of Canaan stuff is mentioned later on, but, um, you know, Hey, these things happen. <laughs> so it is, it <laughs> is, but it's like, well, Hey man, we read this whole book this week, yeah. uh, last two, and we enjoyed the hell out of it. Yeah. And the stories in here, we can, like we said, we could be here for a good two, three weeks of recording. Right. Uh, just, just going over it. Or we could try to give a taste. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, that's, that's the point. Um, but about that, I think it's a good segue. Um, I, well, one thing I'll mention, right, just to jump through here, chapter three goes over independent mortal perspectives. I want everybody to pay attention to the unholy autopsy, and my hat's off to who wrote that. Yeah. Because, I, I and, and stop me if, I'm, if I misheard you before, but I, I kind of resonate with what I thought I heard you say before about the fact that the hunters didn't make sense, right? This whole second inquisition nonsense yeah. seemed to be... OP not handled realistically yeah. governmental on high super agents yeah. coming in for immortals. Come on. And not only were there laws to consider, there's a, a just out out. How are you going to do it? Right. Right. Um, these guys don't die from bullets and you need to use a lot of them. How does that guy behind the trigger justify dumping a clip after clip trying to kill a thing that keeps coming? And when that person frenzies, you mean to tell me the horror films out of it? We're now playing some form of alien. It didn't make mm -hmm. sense. Right. Seems to stomp on all themes. Unholy Autopsy says, nah, hold up, Jack. This this whole story is about the fact that, yeah, they're here, and they're kind of lost in the world. Like, I could feel a cell mm -hmm. that was developed, right? Right. That sits back and kind of got a building where they captured one or two, drugged out thin blood or caitiff or whoever, and they're operating on them. Right. Right? They're trying to figure out what's going on. And it gives that exact feeling I have watching any sci-fi film where they capture an unknown alien species. Mm -hmm. It looks human. It was talking and did all this stuff. But man, when it started feeding on humans, right. that morality jump where those scientists are able to shut off all their humane feelings, doesn't matter if they can talk, you're not human. So now I can dissect you because you're trying to eat my species and we're going to figure right. it out. And I feel they captured that. Well, uh, and that, yeah, that, that's something that I, I really wanted to express about the way that I feel that like project first light and the second inquisition has been portrayed in the Chicago by night books, which is not the same as what I've experienced in some of the other books where like in some of the other books, they're kind of like Bob said, they're kind of portrayed as just like this, like overwhelming force. That's just like right around the corner waiting to wipe out vampires. And to me, that just never made sense. And I feel that the way that they're portrayed here in this book in Chicago by night, is there, it's not so much their overwhelming power. Yes, they do have resources. Yes, they do have access to technology, but it's how scary they can be because they are kind of like these smaller cells operating in secret. And if push comes to shove, they will destroy you, but they aren't just sort of this pervasive threat in all places. They're more powerful than they were in earlier editions of the game as far as the like hunters are concerned. Yes, but there's still two forces that don't know everything about one another. And to me, well, that's what makes them scary. I would say yes and no. I mean, for, for a quick breakdown comparison, they had, what is it, uh, the Arcanum, 
with all knowledge of everything, Supernal, mm-hmm. right? Which was ridiculous. I still right. say that's one of the most ridiculous books because it's Highlander. <laughs> right? What? Just look at the show Highlander. They had those guys, right? Right. We're neutral. We want to blah, blah. Oh, sure. Move on. Um, but then they also had those religious zealous, zealots in the Gladius Day mm-hmm. coming straight from the church. Those were lockstep killing machines. Yeah. Orphans stolen from all over, trying to kill with God bullets. Yeah, okay. Then you had that occasional Sullivan Dane that would pop up. Yeah. And he would punch you with fists of God and true faith of 10, resurrect, you know, whatever crazy stuff they want to do. That was OP. I like how they tuned it down. Yeah. But updated with the realism. Yeah. Saying yeah. that technology can do a lot of stuff, mimic that aspects. Right. But you have mortals that can do. And if you look at it from that perspective, it's vampire translation to the perspective of what the mortals are able to do now. Yeah. And we have to adapt. And I feel... Uh, the writers in the folios in Chicago by night in, more than knew that. Yeah. Right. They saw that. And that should be felt, as you said, they're more powerful because of the knowledge they can get and how fast they can roll it out mm-hmm. and how crazy it is that they can make these mini cells for, well, the weaker, but what's the truth about vampire? No matter if you're that elder or you were just raised 10 minutes ago, if you were too weak to fend off five guys jumping you, it shoot you if they got to, but know that a stake paralyzes you. And they wing you in a van. That's a scary affair. Yeah, and that's something I, yeah. to take notice of. And and I agree with that. I think that uh, for me, it's it is that degree of realism um, that has been portrayed in these newer books, um, the Chicago books, the books that take place in the United States. Um, just seems more realistic to me. And uh, you know, I know I'm playing a game with vampires, so like. It shouldn't be all realism, but it does need for me to be grounded in a sense of like, okay, this is mm. conceivable. Remember what we hold to though. <laughs> yes. It's, it's, it's yes. the real world with the world of darkness overlay. Right. Right. And, that, and that's, right? that's the thing. It's, it's, I know it's not the real world. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I know it's the world of darkness, but I just need that granule of, of, yeah, this does make sense in a darker version of our world. Um, yeah, you know, that's just that's just me. That's my perspective. I'm not no, saying that's I'm what right. I meant. That's what I meant. You're missing. I, mean, <clears throat> I think you might have missed what I meant. I'm saying that in that overlay, right? Yeah. It's the, the realism is that something we all can relate to. Right. Right. So anyone to play this game, you just tell them it's the real world. But now it's overlay the world of darkness. Vampires are real. Mm-hmm. We're in it, and they have a society and all sorts of stuff in it. Yeah. But that stuff in it should be almost the. Uh, we know what the meal is, and we're going to spice it pretty cool. But it right. should be digestible to all, and everyone knows what they're eating. Right. And should be flavorful and good. And if it's not for you, you don't eat it. Right. And that's kind of the motif. But when you start taking stuff to that nth degree, yeah, it becomes sci-fi or it becomes fantasy. And, and <clears throat> they've gone through those in some editions. But um, the point is, I think they did Hunter's Well in the folio book. Yeah. Also, I mean, there's a freaking reference to Magadon in here. So I know. Why wouldn't I geek <laughs> at that? Uh good call out. <laughs> <laughs> now I do have one quick question. Um I, I, I don't like, I, maybe, I don't know. Um, on page 61, there is a gangrel that I feel like has to be a misprint because the gangrel was embraced in 1175 and is 13th generation. Am I just like crazy on that or, or I don't know. Is that like too looking too deep <laughs> into it? Cause I was just like, wait, well, what? Do you mean that the generation, it, that's not possible? Or? No, no, no. I just mean like it being 13th generation and being embraced at 1175. Like, I was like, wait a minute. Nah. <laughs> um, because because if you think about it, um, V5 assumes that this uh, concept of thin bloods mm-hmm. and caitiffs has been ongoing. Mm-hmm. 
And even in the Dark Ages we're reviewing, it's that the elders won't admit that the blood was that weak. Right? They don't deal mm-hmm. with those. Those people are just killed. Right? They had a concept of the scourges back then that if you weren't of a certain type, you couldn't even exist. And the strong will survive. Well, one, it's a gangrel. Right. And, and, and good old gangrel are pretty good at surviving. And to maintain 13th gen, but if you look at the blood potency, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, and that's the other mechanic, you know, gen's great. Blood potency kind of adds in that effect yeah. of you've been around the block in 13th gen, right? Right. And, uh, so I, th- I think that's good. So I guess in a way I'm saying 13th gen, yes, that's the, uh, potential max potential. However, blood potency is how you've survived and adapted in that potentiality. So you okay. can be quite I, good. At I can, I can get behind that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, so let's move on to chapter four then, um, which we may have already talked about. Um, but the big one for me, heretical threats and observations. I'm really digging the church of Cain. Uh, hey, you, I, if you're looking for an argument, I'm not going to give you one. That's... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. We're going <laughs> to... You're, uh, you're, you're golden there. Please yeah. continue. Now, I, I think it's, uh, it's interesting because we get some further information about the... Um, the Joliet area and the Anarch population and how basically the church of Cain has come in and kind of infiltrated that and kind of turned it towards their own. It, it, it's very cult-like, um, especially after recently watching um, on Netflix Waco. I definitely got like a little hint of that in, in the story here. I'm going to, I'm going to cheat here. I got three. I have to mention mm-hmm. and one because it's redemption, right? Right, so I'll start with the redemption first. Okay. And the, and the other one with you and me, it's probably Elephant in the Room. Yeah. You might have been a gentleman and let me mention it first, mm-hmm. but uh, we'll, we'll get to that one. Mm-hmm. I'll save the best for last, so to speak. The Cult of Mithras was redeemed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in this book, was redeemed. I was like, and, how, and I will, how is the Cult of Mithras better in a book that's not about Mithras? <laughs> right, and I'm trying to slam home here. I really <laughs> wish you did the cult of Mithras here. It was the same person who did it in the other book. Oh, because, yeah. Because here, and here's the thing, here's the truth, Blind, I didn't even check. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if they were on their game here with this little bit, and the other one, they were like, I'm trying to stretch out, a, a, I'm trying to make a $5 last over a $50 meal. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. I, don't, I don't know what was going on here. But this cult of Mithras is like, not only in the story writing does it hammer at home, it deals with the Anubai. You, you right. have Decker walking around what goes on, talking about the, the fact that it's warriors that they're looking for, and this is what's meant, and our Lord Mithra. I felt Mithra should literally be a beacon of the sun in the eyes of his followers from here. Right. Right? You get to the end, and you're like, sign me up. <laughs> right. Right? It just, just felt Just like that. Mark Decker. <laughs> right. Just like Mark Decker, all in, right here. This is what we've been missing. And I was like, that's that's awesome. You know, Bob, I, I read about the cult of Mithras, you know, the one that actually had the, the bull god and whatnot, mm-hmm. sure. But it didn't really hammer home. It was sort of like played around, right? Look it up on the internet. You'll figure it out here. They're like, no, nah, no, nah, let me show you what we meant. And it's like, oh, yeah, good job. High five. <laughs> <laughs> this is right where it needs to be. And uh, I, I just wish that would have been, well, who knows? There might actually be a supplement, cult of Mithras, like these jackasses wanted. But it's... Uh, this yeah, the Mithras cult you want to look into yeah. is out of this book. Yeah. And it's going to be detailed more in a future book coming out by Onyx Path. So, um, I mean, to me, they're two for two at this point. So I do, I, I feel good. Cults of the Blood Gods will be good. Hell yeah. Um, but, you know, we'll let that be what it is when it comes. Now, I uh, this is where I officially give an apology to the gentleman gamer. 
uh, <laughs> the cult of Shalim. Okay. Mm-hmm. I laughed at him. I even poked fun when we interviewed him. It was like, oh, yeah, the somber cult. Ugh. Yeah. They only had to get cults now. It's, they were somber. They were already a cult. They had abyss mysticism guy. Where are they in V5? They're here, right here. Cult of Shalim. In fact, they're better because this isn't about some guy sitting around how vampire we are and whatever. This is about some scary, scary stuff. Mm-hmm. It's as if it said, you take the cult, the abyss cult. Yeah, those existed, but we updated them to V5 where they're done playing around. Yeah. And it's, and it's coming to a head where they're now moving forward with that, the shenanigans of being a nihilist. No, be one, but be a true one. And this is what it looks like. And they give a self-help story in the beginning that kind of sets that pace. But by the end of reading it, I still wanted to use it. Yeah, I I agree with you. And I I would say for people, um, this is something that we hear a lot, you know, in the scuttlebutt of the internet, on the discords and the blah, blah, blahs. People who are like, you know, I'd be more into V5, but it's not scary enough. Not enough horror. Okay, great. I'm one of those people. I love the Sabbat. I get pissy because they're not a part of it. Uh, chapter four is the chapter you want to read. I, I can't say it any better than that. The first three chapters really drew me in, but chapter four, like, pounded it home for me. It was like, this is this is the stuff I wanted. Now digging deep, get your knife and fork. Mm-hmm. The Sabbat. You got you to gotta tell me, okay, I'll, I'll go and just say I loved it. I loved every bit of it. Uh, what do you think? I, I enjoyed it immensely. To me, uh, when I'm presented with a s- sort of a world where they're like, we don't really know what happened to the Sabbat. Um, things are kind of crazy right now. But the ones we can find are the worst. Uh, yeah, to me, I was like, there's a little bit of redemption for the Sabbat in, in this book. And I, I appreciate it. Uh, I think I think that um, the way that they're portrayed in here, I don't ever want to come in contact with them as a non-Sabbat player. Well, well right. And <laughs> and you never should want to, right? right. It's like, how do you tell? Um, we had recently, or I, or I had said on our own Discord that I finally had a game where I could see the Anarchs are different than the Sabbat. Mm-hmm. And that's a breath of fresh air. This is an example of that, right? Where to the Sabbat, they're the heroes. Right. Right? And everything they got to do. And they have sacrifices that humanity in becoming a vampire. Well, what does that look like when your coterie are the, the Camarilla finding them, right? Yeah. Especially now. And if you take into V5, we don't know what happened to the Sabbat, but they're painting a dark and grim picture. Yeah. Right? Um, the Sabbat has to follow its ideals. So when the war machine kicks up and the beckoning kicks in and some people got to go and they're, they're saying why, these packs went with. Right. You can clearly see that for every elder that went, they took a pack with them and those who were inspired by said elder are people in their own pack and they, they went and marched to a drum to some grand fight, right? That's what it seems. Some grand fight, or maybe just a summoning to martial troops. Right. We have, we have no idea. We do know to those who were left behind, to those who just didn't dance to the tune, it's hellish. And in the story with the, the, the actual title, the Sabbat or the seven fires, which I enjoy, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's a, it's one Sabbat member left behind going insane. Cause when you strip away the vaniculum and you leave them a deal with the guilt and this is important. When your pack's not around supporting you all the time, when you don't have a priest letting you know it's okay, when you haven't adapted to a path, and even though your humanity is low, all you have is regret. Right. And that's a crushing weight. All the people you've killed, all the, all the damnable things you've done, and you're, you're immortal, so you're going to have time to, to kind of ruminate on what you've done and who you are now, and all you are is some monster. Well, sometimes you dive into that fact. Sometimes <laughs> right. you chase the beast. And that's what it tells a tale of what that might look like. And it is 
I, I won't say, I will say expertly done. I feel it was grand. Yeah. I'm just I, reading about it. Cause I was like, that would terrify me. Yeah. I found it quite enjoyable. Um, I, I approve, um, as if that were needed, but that's, <laughs> that, that's the it truth is. of it. <laughs> it's our podcast. The approval's needed. Right. <laughs> Fair <laughs> so enough. There. Um, and then, uh, moving on to chapter five, um, you almost would, you almost would, wouldn't die. <laughs> you almost would. You wanted to, <laughs> how could you skip past the purgatory of Gus? Uh, I don't, cause I don't remember that one. Uh, that's my bad. Well, um, often I'm not a fan of, uh, taking like a movie inspires you, but don't write about, don't write that movie. Mm-hmm. They didn't listen when it came to Gus and I appreciate they didn't. It was kind of tongue in cheek, right? So you take the, uh, what's the show that's like, uh, and re-inspired it. Um, they came out. Strange, oh, things, Stranger Stranger things? things. Yeah. Right. This, the, the Gus story pretty much personifies it. They mm-hmm. talk about a, uh, a, their kids in a town who are riding around on their bikes, meeting up in clubs and saving up money to buy comics and whatnot and what they would do when they grow up. Coming of age story and hearing these creepy tales about something that comes around and eats bad kids. Mm-hmm. And it's just around and, and adults joke about it, whatever. But these kids started noticing some people were missing. Mm-hmm. And they get it in their head that they're going to make weapons. They're going to go check that out. And the story is all, well, first off, it's V5. Knowing the writers in this in this book already, if they didn't get the hint, yeah, they find it, right? Because you're not the kids in the story. Right. They open with the the perspective of what happens to the kids in the story. Then the artwork in this book, I love. Yeah. Because you'll read the story, and then they'll show you a picture. Yeah. Right. That's, of it yeah, in that's, the, that's interesting. I, maybe I didn't remember this because while I was reading this book, I was also reading it. Right. And I actually wholeheartedly agree with that because... I was chuckling and I thought for certain you were going to hit me with this uh, over <laughs> it because of that. But uh, I'm kind of glad that it slipped through your brain there and uh, I got to bring that up. But when you look at the photo of Gus and see what they did, it more than does justice for yeah. it. Right. And it, it creeps you the hell out. And uh, just, just seeing the kids and knowing how horrible it goes, right, as these right. things are. Because remember, you got to be the players to come in and you're investigating. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> not saving wink wink nudge nudge so yeah it was a it's a good story but they they do they do great throughout all these yeah all right so now moving on yes. <laughs> uh, we get to the uh the character folios um of course we're not going to go through you know these characters but i figured um i'd ask do you have a favorite or two or uh honorable mentions you want to bring up yeah painfully i'm going to choose a shocker Mm-hmm. And uh, it's gonna be the Banu Akim. I'm I'm almost documented notoriously for not caring about the Banu Akim because I feel it's just the Banu Akim wasn't a clan. It's not the, it, it is a clan, but in a sect that doesn't necessarily get along. And I just didn't see it. I kind of felt they were like we all get along now, and there's marriages, right? Because that's how I, how I read and what was thrown at me, and all the thoughts and ideals were all put to bed reading this one guy. Right? It highlights the fact that they're not all one person. Right? In fact, right. it says it would be a mistake to think that every Banu Hakim follows and marches to the same tune, right? We do not all, it, what is it? It is a mistake to believe we all follow the same path. And that's, uh, I won't, well, I'll try it. It's a Khadija Al-Kindi warning Prince Jackson about the Banu Hakim, right? Yeah. Because everyone knows about the fanatics, but what they don't understand is that the Islam gave an ability to kind of cool that blood right? and then to join them. And they're still children of Hakim with those traits, but they're the Banu Hakim. And that's how it is, because you're free to kind of pursue where you will. But when you do that, 
sure, the fanatics are badasses and great, we know that, but what about those people who feel they're doing what's right? And as we know, fanatics to a blood god are bad, but a fanatic to God can be terrifying as well. Yeah. Or someone who doesn't believe in those two gods, but picks their own to follow. And Arjun Shah is an interesting character, and therefore that very fact. Yeah, I think it's a pretty uh, cool character as well. Um, I I just I, I enjoy the whole story of um, you know the Mithras cult in Milwaukee, and um, I just thought that was very interesting. And of course, folks will want to read it for themselves. The one that stuck out to me, the one that I really wanted to mention though, is Shijana, um, the Caitiff, uh, because if you remember back in the day. And anybody that's reading this character or knows that name knows that this is a Ravnos character. And now they are a caitiff question mark. Hey, you got me. My brain is not pulling at 100. It's a character from, I believe, the original Chicago by Night. But just why it's interesting to me is they mentioned that this clan that she belonged to has vanished, has disappeared. And, you know, of course, I'm like, well. It's Ravnos, and and I don't know if it's an indicator of how uh, they're going to be handling the clan moving forward, but I got to admit something. It doesn't bother me if it is. I've never been a real big fan of that clan ever, and just even the way that the, the, the discipline of that clan is handled, it's just, it's just not there. It just doesn't exist. But uh, I think that the character is interesting because the fact that that clan disappeared and nobody really understands what's happened is what makes that character kind of compelling at this point. It's a, it's a, it's a new mystery. It's a new old mystery. Um, I noticed it too, that there's a lot that they're throwing in here that come from the perspective mm-hmm. of what you're supposed to take it as. They don't leave you to make the distinction. You don't get to downplay their intent. What do I mean by that? Whenever the Nosferatu were introduced, everyone forgets their monstrous in appearance. And often they take a monstrous bent because they're no longer human. That distance, every time you look in the mirror, it weighs on you. Right, It was a Frankenstein feel of the clan that was supposed to be hammered home and a rebirth. Right. If you become a Nosferatu, kiss your you know, humanity goodbye. Where everyone says just Nas. Right? Just shorten it to three letters. We're not Nosferatu, <laughs> right. we're just Nas. Right. We exist in the sewers, we have clubs, there's crackers. Right. And, uh, you know, teen crumpets. And, and gr- great. But you really kind of took away a lot of what the intent was, and then they had to go with how the fans were handling it. Well, in here... They take something like the Lake Michigan monsters, right? Something horrible is beneath Lake Michigan. Terrible things and tidings and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And then when you read about certain characters, which I'll leave you to do the mining like I had to today, uh, to hunt down a certain lady who kind of shed some light on those stories. Um, And that's the only hint I'll give you. Um, They give you multiple outs of what it possibly could be, including um, delusions. Delusional rumor mongering is one of the ones that throws out there. This isn't anything at all. But they leave the option to you. To dictate what it is with a simple, a simple solution. The whole earth predates any human walking on it. We all know that. And therefore vampiric kind. And it hammers home the fact that if you have someone that is 6,000 years old, they predate your concept of Lilith and Cain by quite a margin. Right? <laughs> right. So let's just throw them out the window. So you can't call them Cainite, right? They're not a Lilith. So what are they? And that's the big mystery behind this particular character. And because of that, they give you a monstrous bent because if she's old, and that old, then what the heck made her? Right. Is she even a vampire? And that's a question because they say monsters. It's something so terrifying that when college spoke with her, he hasn't been seen since. And not necessarily because she killed him. Right. You know? And, and it's and it's these things poured into one 
they lead you to be like, okay, this is deep and, and also wisdom. I applaud them for doing that because it challenges you, the storyteller, hey, make, define your world. You know, we've laid seeds, but you grow this into something. And, you know, if you want to somehow reach out, tell us your story, storyteller, vote that thing, throw it up there. Maybe others like it. Maybe we will head on. Who knows? When you do that for your reader, you give value to your book. I feel. Yeah, I agree with you. The last uh, mention that I want to make, of course, uh, this is another elephant in the room, is basically the entirety of the Gangrel clan, because um, <laughs> it's it's mostly the wolf pack, uh, the hangers on of the wolf pack, or people that aren't in the wolf pack but should be. And quite honestly, I'm I'm an an OG wolf pack fan. I I love those archons. I've always been a big fan of using them. They're great antagonists. They're a lot of fun, in my opinion. And the fact they're in here, that's it just really makes me happy. So uh, I enjoy them. Um, I will mention that Capone's here. Mm-hmm. You will get him in this book as well. Go Alphonse Capone. And uh, that's that's it. I just wanted to say it because, uh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll let you, man. we'll let you, I mean, I got to admit that was the first thing I looked at when I opened the book, but uh, <laughs> I went back and read from the beginning. But yeah, that was the. That was the thing I was most interested in. And then, uh, you know, we get uh, a selection of lore sheets, which I think um, most of them are pretty good in this book. But I especially like the Goblin Roads. Um, those are the that's the one that I like the most. I enjoyed Kindred Dueling. I like Collins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Collins uh, intro. is good too. I like the fact that Sheriff Damien's thrown in here. Actually, here's the thing. I, I My fear was that all lore sheets were going to be is of characters you'll never encounter. Like Victoria Ash, if she had a lore sheet, I think she did, but wherever it was. But I know Bell had one. Mm-hmm. And you read, like, who's going to use Theo Bell in a place to kick rocks and be like, come on. Yeah. Someone would, but I just, like, come on. And that's how it was going to stick. Or it'd be, you know, of that Methuselah. That w- mm. Unfortunately, I reminded myself. <laughs> Unfortunately. I thought this is, I was going to get by and just have to talk off mic about this. But, ah, God. Um, Descendant of Manel is a good one. Uh-huh. However, but it's when you think of. Helen, Helen of Troy really gets my goat. And it's, and it's because if, if they were two rivals battling over these areas and whatnot through the time and they update it good and that's fine. And Manel went and answered it. Why are we still saddled with, why is she sticking around? Everybody else has to leave. Well, from what I, what I understand, you know, she left and came back even worse, but, but no, no, no. I, I'm not saying that as an excuse. I'm saying that as an, I agree with you. I don't know why that decision was made, but bum, yeah. Bum, bum. What if it's not her? <laughs> who knows it just looks like her because by all means what is gus gus is everyone gus is love there's safety in gus we don't know what happened to Colin. right and i think mm-hmm. he got gust mm-hmm. could be could be he is Maybe. Gus. i don't know we have no idea that's that's me funning with, mm-hmm. <laughs> with I, I, everyone in this book <laughs> right but the uh <laughs> but the thing is is like when you do stuff like that and that's not i mean that's a hard pill but there's got to be a reason so i invite everybody to do what i'm doing just hold out yeah. Just wait for it. Like maybe in Cult of the Blood Gods, it explains some of this craziness and uh, ties off some things for sure. Um, but I think now we're getting to a point where the beckoning's got to get defined. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's got to it really start does. reason. Yeah. That, that needs to be, that, that is one of the most important things of the, of the game. The, one of the most important concepts that's been invented uh, and brought to the table with V5. And I think that if things like that were more clearly defined, it would be easier for people to digest things that they're like, wait, what? Yeah, I agree with you on that. Then like the last chapter's blood sorcery rituals, which we kind of already mentioned. It's like they're a good. discipline section, right? <laughs> they're good. We can yeah. go over it, but I invite you to read it. Yeah. Get the book and read it. You're, you're, they're good. 
That's a, you guys look for us for thumbs up, thumbs down. It's a big thumbs up. It's yeah. a big help to players of all types. Yeah. Especially those who thought blood sorcery was missing uh, a detective means or a means of covering up. Bladed hands, you know. Who doesn't want bladed hands? <laughs> right. <laughs> was there anything, any like final words you wanted to say about the book? Yeah, I think the book was awesome. Congratulations to the writers. I think you did awesome. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't even fault you for the Helen thing. Like I said, I, there's, there's stuff coming. I could feel it. And yeah. if not, then I'll just go back and secretly hate you because it's our podcast. We yeah. can do that. Yeah. My, my last final thoughts about this book. So I'm going to admit something. I, I never like to admit when I'm wrong, but, um, I, I said, you know, I wanted two weeks cause this is a big book and I figured, you know, we had two weeks to digest this. I read it in four days. And that's not because the content wasn't there. The content was there. It was just compelling. It was just like, I felt like Pac-Man. I was just it like you four days to read it or you read it in four hours. Uh, it took me four days to read it. Got it. Got it. So I read through it like very quickly. My brain was just like, give me more, give me more, give me more. So, you know, I, I, I didn't commit every aspect of this book to memory, but what I'm saying is it's a good book. There was not one occasion where I was reading the book where I had to stop and go, wait, what did I just read? So it felt very nostalgic to me. It felt um, really a called back, just like Chicago by Night did, to you know what I love about this game, and I think it is it is a worthwhile and imperative companion to Chicago by Night to have. You know, if you're looking for more to build on your game, if you're looking for more information about the world, you want some more meat on the bones. This is the book to get. So. Agreed. Definitely suggest Agreed. it. Brings us to the conclusion. So next week we will be back to Dark Ages uh, with Road of the Kings. So Road of the Kings. That should be fun. We'll get to talk a little bit more about about Mithras. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah, hell yeah, dude. Cool. Well, thank you, folks, for listening. And as always, Bob, thank you for joining me. Thank you, my man. And uh, until then, we'll talk to you later. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. If you like our podcast and you'd like to help support our show, consider backing us at patreon.com forward slash 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. We offer reward tiers of additional Patreon-only podcasts, t-shirts, and personalized gaming experiences. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and go to our website, utilitymuffinlabs.com, for links to all of our social media, additional podcasts, and more. If you'd like to chat with us, submit a title for review, promote your gaming-related stuff or anything else you can think of email me at nathan at utilitymuffinlabs.com utility muffin labs consistently rated adequate